bless you. Have a great class. Now let's ask God's blessing on his word to our hearts. Our Father, thank you for preserving your word for us in a language that we can understand. We do pray for the missionaries who are working diligently to translate your word for those who are still waiting of a, their first copy of your word in their language. Would you bless them, encourage them, and help them to bring to the completion a copy of your word in every language, tribe, and tongue. Bless now this word to our hearts that it might take root and bear fruit in our lives for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This new series, God will bring each of us into a new season. Not only in this series, but throughout this new year. God, I believe, is bringing each of us into a new season. And each new season requires fresh faith. The faith you used for yesterday's trials and challenges, which resulted in various victories, are now written in your history book. But today is a new day. This is a new year. And God is writing a new chapter, and new faith is required for your new, your new season. What, you are hope, what, are, what is it that you're hoping for this new year? Well, with fresh faith, you can be sure of that hope. What do you want to see God do in your life, in your family, in your church, in your job this year? With fresh eyes of faith, you can already begin to see it, though it is not yet a reality. That's what this verse is teaching us. Last week we learned how much everyone uses faith on a daily basis. Like driving or taking public tra transportation or flipping on a light switch. We also learned that faith in God is essential not only to establish a relationship with him for the first time, but also to nurture an intimate and abiding relationship with him forever. It is impossible for anyone to please God without faith. Faith in God is also synonymous with obedience to God's holy word. Last week we saw the consequence of faith and disbelief in God in the lives of two brothers, Cain and Abel. Abel believed God and was obedient to God's command concerning a blood sacrifice. Cain disbelieved God and was disobedient to God's command concerning the same. Instead of believing God, he leaned on his own understanding. When I was a child, both my parents and my Sunday school teachers taught us to memorize this verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he 
will direct your paths or make your paths straight, as some translations put it. Today we'll be in, we're going to be inspired by the lives of other saints who dared to believe God for the new season of their own lives. And we're going to see that the same faith that was available to them in the ancient world is still available to us in postmodern times. So let's begin with Noah in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear he built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Remember Noah? Maybe some of you even saw the movie with Russell Crowe. The amazing account of his life is found in Genesis chapter 6, the book of beginnings. Listen to this, Genesis 6, beginning in verse 5 says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Imagine that. We don't think about God in those terms, do we? The Bible says that God's heart was grieved and filled with pain over the creation, his own creation, the, the highest pinnacle of his creation, mankind. God was grieved and sorrowful that he ever made us because of our wickedness and our rebellion against him. And so the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But now check this out. But Noah. Don't you love the buts of Scripture? One of these days I'm going to preach a sermon series on the buts of Scripture. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the peoples of his time, and he walked with God. Where have we heard that before? He walked with God. Remember last week we learned about a man named Enoch. He was the first person recorded in the Bible of whom was said that he walked with God. Well, guess what? Noah was the great-grandson of Enoch. What a legacy. What a rich spiritual heritage Noah had. It's not surprising then that he too walked with God, despite the wicked society in which he lived. Verse 11 of Genesis 6 goes on to say that the earth was corrupt and full of violence in God's sight. And that, that all the people of the earth had adopted a corrupt way of living. Sound familiar? Sound like Chicago? Illinois politics? Business? Wife of Billy Graham, Ruth Graham, once famously said, If God doesn't judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. She was thinking about how far America had strayed from its Christian roots with 
increasing gun violence and pornography and abortion and homosexual agenda and all the rest of it. Not to mention our history of brutal slavery to black people from Africa. And so God told Noah that he was sick and tired of mankind because of their violence and that he was going to destroy both mankind and the whole earth. And he was going to do it by unleashing a cataclysmic flood to cover the earth. In other words, God said, I'm done with you. I'm going to start over. So God told Noah to build a huge ship called an ark out of a special kind of wood. And he gave him specific dimensions for the ship. And he told him, make many rooms inside the ship and put a roof on it. And then came another weird part. By the way, Noah, I want you to uh, bring two of every living creatures into the ark to live with you and your family while you float on the water. And, and also store up and store away all the food enough to feed your family and all the animals. <laughs> now, Noah, it's interesting few more fun facts in this whole saga. Noah had never experienced rain before. Did you know that? Before the flood, it had never rained on planet Earth. And so Noah had never experienced rain or the flood. Noah didn't even live near an ocean or a large body of water to even launch a boat. You know, I've got friends with boats, and, and when, we, when you go launch a boat, you go to a boat ramp and, you know, you, you launch your boat off of the trailer off the back of your truck into a river or into the lake or into the ocean. And, but Noah wasn't even near a large body of water. So here God tells him to build this big ship. He's never seen rain, don't know anything about a flood, never built a boat before. And Hebrews 7 says, that Noah exercised faith when warned about things not seen. That's faith. He exercised his faith when he was warned about things he had never seen. And so in holy fear of God, he built an ark to save his family. The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Holy fear of God comes from holy faith in God, which also leads to faithful obedience to God. Now let's think about the faith that Noah must have had to obey God in all of this. This is incredible. Can you just hear the conversation with Mrs. Noah? After God got through talking to Noah, he had to then go talk to his wife, right? Honey, uh, I've been speaking with God and he's not too pleased with humanity right now. Oh yeah? Tell me about it. Well, he said he's going to destroy everybody on the whole planet. What? What about us? Well, the good news is, we and our family, we're going to be saved. Hmm, well that's good, but how? Well, uh, the, God said that he's going to destroy everyone in the world with a worldwide flood. A what? A, a, a flood. Yeah, he said something about rainstorm. I don't know. 
We've never had anything like that. How in the world are we going to be saved though, Noah? Well, he told me to build a big boat called an ark. Wow, that's crazy. You've never done that before. Yeah, I know. I mean, can you imagine? And babe, one more thing. God told me to gather male and female pairs of every creature on earth that don't swim. Oh, yeah? What for? To live with us in the ark so that every species will be saved and able to reproduce after this ordeal is over? Noah, are you kidding me? Are you sure this wasn't just a nightmare you had last night? Honey, I wish it was, but I clearly heard the voice of God. I know this is bizarre, but let's trust the Lord on this. He's never failed us yet. Okay. All right, I'm going to go talk to the boys. I'll need their help to build the ark. Hey, boys! We got a boat to build. Let's talk. Can you imagine the faith of Noah to have that conversation with his wife and kids? Back to Hebrews 11:7. Not only is Noah's faith credited with activating his obedience to save his family, but Noah's faith is also credited with condemning the world to suffer God's judgment. You say, whoa, wait a minute. That seems kind of harsh. Yeah, it does. And it is. So let me explain. Presumably, while Noah was building the ark in obedience to God's command and to his exact specifications, he knew, no doubt, he drew a crowd that, and he also probably became the talk of the town. I mean, you don't build a big ship in your front yard and not have the neighbors gawking, talking, looking at you funny, right? Can you hear the skeptical neighbors ridiculing him? Hey, Noah, what are you doing over there? I'm building a boat. A what? Why? What for? Well, God told me he's going he's gonna to judge the world with a rainstorm that's going to cover the whole earth because the unrepentant men, women, and children who sin against him and each other. Who's ever heard of a rainstorm, Noah? Flooding, you big dummy? How come God didn't tell us about what he told you? You and your sons are wasting your time. Get a grip and get real. You big dummy. Guys, listen. God is real. And he has spoken to me. And his judgment is surely coming and you're, you will surely perish. But his mercy and his grace are available to you. If you will only join us and come into the ark before the door closes and the rains begin to fall. You see, because of Noah's faith in God, he faithfully obeyed God and he lived a righteous life in a world that was filled with doubt and wickedness and disobedience all around him. And he was a faithful witness to those who walked in the darkness despite the fact that they refused to listen to him. Therefore, that's why the scripture says that Noah's faith is translated into righteousness 
and it became a testimony or a witness to God's judgment of the wicked and unrepentant world. And believe it or not, our lives are no different. The life of every believer, the reason why God leaves you here, how many Trekkies do we have in the audience? Remember, Captain Kirk, beat me up, Scotty. Right? Why is it that when we get saved, God doesn't just dematerialize our bodies and we rematerialize in heaven? Why does God leave us here? To be a righteous witness to a world that is condemned in their sin unless they repent and trust Christ. In the same way, God says that by faith, Noah's righteous life condemned the unrepentant, wicked neighbors, friends, family members of his. And so do our lives if we are living lives full of faith and righteousness. And so, how about you? Has God ever prompted you to do something or to say something and you felt it was weird or crazy? But you had a strong sense that it was God prompting you. And all you can think about was, what's my neighbors going to think? What will they say about me at the office? My family's going to think I've lost my mind. My, my, my friends at school are going to think I'm out of my mind. I'm crazy. I'm some goody two-shoe. And so you start to doubt God's prompting as the fear of man grips your heart. The Bible says perfect love drives out fear. And so to know God is to trust him, and to trust him is to love him, and to love him is to obey him. The trouble is God is invisible, and humans are all up in your grill, aren't they? Every day, looking at you like you're crazy. Talking about you like you are weird. The truth is, you and I are weird. Living righteously in a wicked world is weird to the world. The world doesn't understand why you're not willing to shack up with your girl. Because everybody else at the office is shacking up. The world doesn't understand why you're not cheating on your wife or your husband. Because everybody else in the office is cheating on theirs. The world doesn't understand why you pay your bills on time and why you deal honestly with other people in business. Because it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. and You better get yours before they get theirs. It is weird to be a Christian in our world. Because the world does not play by the rules that God has called us to play by. And so get used to being weird. And if you can't get comfortable being weird, you will not live a faith-filled, obedient Christian life. But if we believe God, we have got to get comfortable being his fool in this unbelieving world. If you and I would live the faith, the life of faith that God has called us to live, we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable in this wicked world. Remember, this world is not our home. 
We're just passing through. Last summer during our Jesus Summer campaign, you might remember, we participated in the Hands Across Chicago where we placed these small two, three-foot crosses with a heart on it from north to south along Sheridan and Halstead streets all the way down from the north side to the south side and then from downtown on Madison all the way out to the west side of the city forming a literal cross of crosses and then we had churches from all over the city on the north south and west sides that lined those routes of the crosses well one of our organizers Dr. John Suter a good friend of mine he got complaints from some people some residents in Edgewater who went to their alderman's office and started complaining uh, because they absolutely hated the sight of those crosses on their streets where they live. And they called their alderman's office to complaining and demanding that they be taken down. And the alderman explained that not only did we have the right to put them there, but we had permission from City Hall. A few of these folks took matters in their own hands and removed or destroyed a few of those crosses. You see, the cross stands as a condemning judgment to unconfessed sin. I'm sure those same people are not complaining about the massive white Buddha heads that are all over the city. See, Buddha is no threat to your way of life. Buddha is no threat to your sinful, rebellious way of life. You do whatever you want to do. But Jesus calls us to holiness and righteousness and to be conformed in his image, in his likeness. And that is an affront to the sinful desires of our hearts. No religion is persecuted like Christianity and Judaism. So never be afraid of what humans think or say about you. Ask God to give you a holy fear and faith like Noah, a deep reverence for him, and you will be more inclined to obey his promptings than to worry about what others people will think or say about you. And here's the good news. God will reward you. God will reward you for your faithful obedience. Ultimately, you will never lose with God. Never. I've read the end of the book. We win. Amen. <laughs> yeah. That's the bottom line. Now let's read on in Hebrews and learn about Abraham's faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when he called, he was, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. Listen, when God calls you to go somewhere, anywhere, go. Go. You won't have all the answers. And those of you who like to have all your I's dotted and all your T's crossed, listen, with God you won't have all of that. Sometimes God does not fill in the blanks so that we must exercise our faith muscles, trusting him with the details. Last week, you heard from Brother Alex, who was visiting here, one of our former members. And he shared with us a wonderful faith lesson of how he had a $3,000 need for a mission trip. And was making, he wasn't because he wasn't making enough money in Alaska there to meet that need. And so he began to pray about it, and the phone rang as he began to pray. It was some, a one-time acquaintance who he met on the train station or something, saying to him, hey, I got a sister of mine that needs help in the Gulf Coast, and, uh, and, and she, she'll pay you for the work that you do, $3,000. 
And so he believed God that this was the answer that he was praying for. He got on a plane from Alaska, flew to the Gulf Coast, lived and worked there for 40 days, collected his $3,000, and then went on his mission trip where God had called him to go. You see, by faith, verse 9 says of Hebrews, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He, he lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. Sometimes when God calls us to go somewhere or to say something or to do something, it requires us to leave our place of familiarity and comfort and, and to go to a place of unfamiliarity and discomfort. And you're going to need faith to do that because your flesh loves comfort and familiarity. That's the reason we upgrade and get the leather couch and the leather seats in the car with the heated seats. That's the reason we buy a more comfortable, warmer coat and boots and because our body does not like to be uncomfortable. Our minds and our hearts don't like to be bothered and troubled. We like everything peaceful and quiet and nailed down just right. That's natural and normal. But you see, the supernatural is often just the opposite. When God calls us to something supernatural, it will create a disequilibrium in our system. And it will make us feel uncomfortable. It will make us feel fearful. It will make us feel like going in the other way. Ask Jonah. Hello. God called Jonah and says, go this way. Jonah says, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> Why do you think God put that in the Bible? To teach us. Don't be like Jonah. Now, eventually, you know, he eventually got through to him and he repented and went and did what God asked him to do only after being swallowed by a large fish and tasting some fish guts and, you know. He got the message. Okay, let me be. I think it might be a little more, more bearable, more comfortable following God than my own way. And so it is the supernatural is often the opposite from the natural. You see, your faith will always lead you to look forward like Abraham. Look at verse 10 in Hebrews 11. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You remember when Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt toward the promised land? Many of the children of Israel, while walking through that Arabian wilderness, they looked backward to Egypt. They looked backward in doubt and disobedience instead of looking forward toward the promised land. All they could see with their eyes of flesh was the earthly pleasures of the past in Egypt. They talked about the, the onions and the leeks and the garlic that they had in Egypt and all the good food and back there. They forgot about the bondage, the fact that they were in bondage. And they were thinking about their carnal lusts and cravings of the flesh, which they did not have in the wilderness. The eyes of the flesh thinks about the cravings of the flesh. But the eyes of faith 
With the eyes of faith, they would have been able to see beyond the Arabian wilderness and into the promised land flowing with milk and honey. As a result, a journey that should have only taken three to four months took them 40 years because of their doubt and disobedience. A whole generation had to die off, the Bible said, because of God's judgment. They didn't have enough faith to enter into the promised land, so God caused a whole generation to die out who were in full of doubt and disobedience. And the younger generation got to go into the promised land because they believed they were not like their forefathers. But Abraham was a man filled with faith enough to see the promised land of heaven. Look at it in verse 11. It says, By faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he was as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and was countless as the sand on the seashore. Is this not incredible faith? God gave Abraham and Sarah a promise of a child. And they were already past childbearing age. And then God waited another 10 years just for good measure before he blessed them with their one and only child. By Abraham's faith, that child of promise was claimed and his name, Isaac. And through him came Jacob who had 12 sons who then became the 12 tribes of Israel and the nation was born just as God had promised. Then verse 13, all these people were still living by faith and when they died, they, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them before a distance or from a distance. And they admitted that they, they were aliens and strangers on earth. And people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had, not, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Do you know that God is preparing for us a new city, the new Jerusalem? Jesus said to his disciples, fear not, don't be afraid. When I go, I will, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and bring you to that place. Listen, if you're not ashamed to trust God, he will not be ashamed to be called your God. In Luke 9, Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me and my teaching, I will be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. Don't ever be ashamed of who you are in Christ. Don't ever be ashamed. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You talk about incredible faith. What faith could be greater than trusting God in obedience to his command to take the life of your one and only promised son? Unbelievable. Is there any wonder why the Bible calls Abraham the friend of God? But notice in the text that Abraham's faith was not without reason. In other words, it's not simple blind faith. Abraham thought to himself, well, let's see. God told me he was going to make me a father of a great nation. And for that to happen, I have to have at least one son. 
And then God gave me that miracle boy. Now years later, he's asking me to sacrifice that boy to him. It seems crazy. I know. But I heard him loud and clear and he didn't stutter. And God is not a liar. He always keeps his promises. So maybe, just maybe, after my sacrificial obedience, God will raise my boy from the dead. That's faith. Let me tell you something. God has given me faith for a lot of things in my life and in this church. But I don't know that I could have faith. And I got four kids, not just one. I don't know that I could have the faith that Abraham had to take one of those kids out. With my own hands, I don't, I don't know that I could do it. It's just incredible. Well, we all know how the story ended. As Abraham lifted the knife over the body of his beloved son, God sent an angel to stop him and showed him a ram that was caught in the thorny bushes. And that ram became the substitutionary sacrifice for Isaac. Now God, maybe God has never asked you to such a costly sacrifice, but has God ever asked you to make a sacrificial gift to him? I mean a big costly sacrificial gift? How did you respond? Was it with eyes of faith or eyes of flesh? Eyes of faith, trusting and believing God to replace whatever he had asked you to give up for him and his kingdom. You see, eyes of the flesh says, I can't do that. And so you hold on tighter to that thing, that person, or that place that God wants you to release, to sacrifice to him. You see, that's a test of your faith. Your trust in and love of God. And it's a simple test, by the way. It's a simple yes or no test. You either believe him or you don't believe him. The only answer that passes the test is yes. Yes, Lord. Matter of fact, turn to your neighbor and say, yes, Lord. We need this. Listen. As you move into this new season and this new year, you're going to need to learn to say, yes, Lord. So you might as well get some practice. Yes, Lord. Get some practice. The only response that passes the test is obedience. Verse 20 shows us Abraham's reward. His faith was passed down to his beloved one and only son, Isaac, who in turn by faith, blessed his two sons, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob, you remember, lived up to his name, Deceiver, but he had an encounter with God, and God changed his name to Israel, and he became the father of 12 sons, which then became the 12 tribes of Israel. Listen, those of you who are parents and grandparents, that's the reason why I demonstrate for you every week the blessing. I learned as a young father to lay hands on my children and to bless them just like the ancient saints of God did. There's something about it. I, don't, I can't explain it. But please, parents, grandparents, lay hold of your children and grandchildren. Touch them and bless them. 
touch them and bless them. By faith. Notice it says both of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It says that by faith they bless their children. And speak blessing over your children and your grandchildren. That God might do with them what he wills for their lives. And their lives might be a blessing and not a curse. There's so many people out there that are cursing your children and grandchildren. Satan is designed and bent on cursing your children and your grandchildren. You be the one to break the line of curses and bless them. Because you know better. And those who know better ought to do better. Bless your children and your grandchildren. And God always rewards our obedience and he fulfills all of his promises. We're out of time, but I suggest later today, before you put your head on your pillow, that you read on in this great hall of faith chapter and be inspired by the faith of people like Joseph, Moses, even Rahab, the prostitute, is mentioned in here. Some of you think you're not good enough to believe God or to have a relationship with God. Well, a prostitute exercised faith in God, and she's legendary now, and her name is in the Bible. How about that? Don't you ever think that you're such a great sinner that you're beyond the grace and the love and the mercy of God. Rahab the prostitute, among other women, prophets who dared to believe God, exercised fresh faith for their new season of life. And God rewarded their faith. May God grant us fresh faith for our new season, whatever it is and wherever it leads us. That is my prayer for you and for me and for us collectively as a church family. Let's stand as we pray. I want to do something a little different this morning. I want to open up the altar in this first Sunday of the new year. And I want to ask you to come forward. I want to pray for those of you who need fresh faith for your new season, whatever it is. I want to pray for those of you who sense God is asking you of a greater sacrifice of your time or your talent or your treasure. I want to pray for those of you who struggle with obedience and you're trusting God for a greater grace for obedience to follow him wherever he asks you to go, whatever he asks you to do. Maybe some of you are here and you're trusting God for salvation this morning. And you need to be saved. You're not sure that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. You're not sure that your sins are forgiven and you have a home in heaven. And so the altar is open. I want you to come. And as you're coming, I'm going to just sing a song. It's an old hymn. That might encourage you and bless you as you come. And after I sing this hymn, I'm going to pray over you. It goes like this. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory. 
sheds on our way. And while we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the sky, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he does richly not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy us but to trust and obey then finally when he fellowships we we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way what he says we will do and where he sends we will go never fear only trust and obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in jesus but to trust and obey. Father, thank you so much for these who are here at the altar. Father, you know the need in their hearts. You know the challenges that you have lying before them. You know the faith.